Glad to see all of you were uh, able to get up this morning and you wanted to come someplace that had some heat. I know that's why you're here, right? It's cold at your house, but you're here. Now we're glad to have you uh, together with us today at worship, especially if you are uh, visiting. We're glad to have you among us and we do invite you to come back to worship with us again. Just a couple of announcements. One is that the um, children are reminded of their regular Sunday night programs from 5.30 to 7 during the regular time with Miss Katie for Mission Kids and Bible Study. We will have a fun Valentine's celebration, so don't miss out. And also, just prior to the start of our usual schedule, at 5 o'clock this afternoon, the handbells, children's handbells, this is for grades one through five, are invited to uh, join Miss Jessica in the social hall for a little handbell rehearsal. Uh, tonight is the first night, so we hope that you'll be here for tryouts for that. We thank everyone. Little handbells, not these big ones. Is that what the snicker is about down there? Um, we thank everyone for support of the Mission Kids and the Make-A-Switch basketball fundraiser uh, last Sunday afternoon. 30 Mission Kids participated in the event to raise money for Stop Hunger Now. Our final totals will be shared soon, so we thank you again for the overwhelming support of this mission. There's a family fun night planned at the Greenville Road Warriors hockey game on Friday, March the 2nd for all of you folks at 7.30. Tickets are $8 each, and you can reserve your ticket by signing up uh, or talking to uh, Katie about where to sign up uh, later on. This time I want to call on Eric Jeter to come share an announcement with us. Good morning. The Cross Training Sunday School class would like to invite you to our annual dinner. Um, it's called Southern Eats and Silent Treats, featuring the not so newlywed game. Uh, the event is Sunday, March 11th, 2012, at 6 p.m. in the FLC. Uh, tickets for this dinner are $10 per person. Um, all proceeds from the dinner and silent auction will benefit the church budget. Uh, we'll, we will be asking couples throughout the church uh, to um, be involved in our newlywed game um, as, as we get people to commit. Those, those uh, names will come out and we'll let you, let you know who they are. Thank you. Let us now begin our time together in worship.
Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. Amen. Affirmation of faith is the Apostles' Creed, found on page 881. Let us affirm our faith in God using this historic confession of the Christian faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. And at this time, I'd like to invite the children to make their way down the side aisles to come up here to the front to join Margie Crowley for a few moments of sharing.
of all, let me say thank you for those who came around this morning and gave all the big people the hugs and the smiles and the, and the little goodies. I don't see many smiles on your faces right now. <laughs> that was, did you look out there, all these people that got those hugs this morning, did you see them just smile and laugh, did you? You surely did. You gave us hugs. You sure did. He gave us hug treats. Yes, he did. We thank you so much. This morning, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about symbols. Do you know what a symbol is? <coughs> represents something. That's exactly right. Something that represents something else. For example, as I drive by some of your elementary schools early in the morning and afternoon, early in the morning when so many children are walking to school or riding their bikes or cars are bringing their, the parents are bringing their children to school in cars. I may see a, a man or a woman walk out and hold up a paddle. There's nothing written on there, but when they walk out near those cars and hold up a paddle, what do those cars do? Say it out loud. Stop. Yeah, they stop. But there's nothing written there that says stop. So this paddle is a what? It's a symbol, and it represents the word stop. Same thing in the afternoon, when you all are so anxious to get home and you're running to get to mama's car or daddy's car, and you see that person walk out and hold up that paddle, cars are going to do what? Stop, because that paddle is a yeah, it's a symbol for a stop sign. That's exactly right. When we have communion at church, and it's sometimes called what? Okay, hold on just a minute. Hold on one minute. When we have communion, and it's sometimes called the Lord's Supper, and you come up to the altar, Preacher Arthur will pass out little pieces of bread. That's a symbol for what? Jesus is good. Jesus' skin or Jesus' body, that's right. Or when you drink the juice, and Preacher Arthur says, this is a symbol for? Jesus' blood. Yeah, that's exactly right. They do listen. They Preacher do, Arthur. they yes, do. Yes, they do. Those are symbols. They represent something else. Wonderful. All right, we haven't had any snow this year, have we? You think we're going to get any? <laughs> Maybe. Okay, John says it's supposed to snow when? On Valentine's, on Valentine's Day. Day. Yes, sir. I'm going to turn six. You're going to turn six when? <laughs> Christmas. When it snows, he says he's going to turn six. Well, that's just wonderful. I'm so happy. All right, I want to show you a symbol of a snowman. Because we don't have a real snowman. We haven't had any snow. So I brought a symbol of a snowman, which is what? Yeah, it's, it's a drawing that represents a snowman. Do you have a make one when it does snow? How many parts does a snowman have? No, not a lot. How many? Three. Three parts, exactly right. Have you ever heard Preacher Arthur talk about the Trinity? You heard that word? 
Have you heard, ever heard him say, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost? Mm-hmm. How many parts is that? Three. Exactly right. How many parts does a snowman have? Three. So we're going to talk about the symbols that our snowman represents. When you decorate your snowman, and some of you will make a snowwoman, and some of you make the snow family, what do you usually put on him? Hat, scarves, nose. What do you make the nose out of? Carrot, yeah. You can decorate it lots of different ways. All right. Down at the bottom of your snowman, when you roll in that snow, it's going to be the biggest part at the bottom, and it's called the foundation. Does your house have a foundation? Yeah. Do most buildings? We hope they all do, don't we? Everything's got to have a foundation. Foundation is the biggest part of the snowman, and that's going to represent God the Father. Say that for me. Yeah, because God the Father made you, made me, made all of them. He made everything. So he's the biggest, right? He's the foundation. The middle part is a little smaller. That would be God the... God the Son. Who is God's Son? Jesus. Now notice my snowman has arms in the middle. Jesus stretches out his arms wide just like that. Why do you think that's true? Yes. To hug us. Yes, that's right. To bring us in. He wants all of us to come in and be with him so that he can forgive us of what? And the third part is the smallest part, and it represents God, the Holy Spirit. Good. What is your Holy Spirit? It's the part that stays with you all the time, and it tells you right from wrong. Can you remember that? So the biggest part of the snowman represents God, the Father, because he's the foundation, the middle part is God the, who forgives us of our sins. And the smaller part up top, but still important, is God the Holy Spirit who goes with you all the time and tells you right from wrong. It's all like your conscience. Now, when we finish having our prayer, I'm going to give each one of you a snowman. It's a solar snowman. Were you here when I gave the solar flowers? Okay. Where do you have to put the solar snowman to make it work? In the sun, up in the window or near a lamp, a low lamp. And when you do, his arms are going to move back and forth when the sun hits it, and his head and his hat are going to move. Now, when you tell the story of a snowman, when you're making your snowman, when you see a picture of a snowman, don't just think of it as being a snowman. I want you to share with someone that he's a symbol for three very important parts that you learn in church. Three, which are God the, God the, God the Holy Spirit. Very good. 
After we have our prayer, and repeat after me, please. Stay and I'll give each one of you one of these. Bow your heads. Dear God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us from our sins. Thank you for being with us always. Amen. One, two. Thank you. I did not get $50 from Ralph, however. That he gave the children a few weeks back. Our Old Testament reading is from Isaiah 43, verses 18 through 25. <clears throat> Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland. I give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Yet you have not called upon me, O Jacob. You have not wearied yourselves for me. O Israel, you have not brought me sheep for burnt offerings, nor honored me with your sacrifices. I've not burdened you with grain offerings, nor wearied you with demands for incense. You have not brought any fragrant calamus for me, or lavished on me the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins, and wearied me with your offenses. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is from uh, Psalm 41, found on page 776. I invite you to stand as you are able. Uh, I believe that's right. Yes. 776 and join me as we share this passage responsibly. Blessed are those who consider the poor. The Lord delivers them in the day of trouble. You do not give them up to the will of their enemies. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me, heal me, for I have sinned against you. Those who come to see me utter empty words while their hearts gather mischief. When they go out, they tell it abroad. All 
They say a deadly thing has fastened upon him. He will not rise again from where he lies. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. But you have upheld me because of my, of, of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Our epistle reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 22. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. But in him it has always been yes for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes us, who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership upon us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Here ends the lesson.
you know that I could say the benediction at this point and send you home when you would have had a plenty, but you also know that I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but we do thank the musicians for uh, inspiring music today. We hope we get to keep Sarah nearby as she graduates from high school this spring, and maybe we can keep her around here. Michaela uh, is from Hendersonville. Her daddy is the pastor at First Presbyterian Church in Hendersonville, so we're grateful for her presence here and uh, participation in this beautiful music today as well. Let us join our hearts together in prayer. We are grateful, Lord, for the word that we have received already, the reminder in scripture of how you go to bat for us against our enemies, especially the enemy of sin and death. We are thankful that those enemies don't have dominion over us anymore. We are grateful that you come to us as Isaiah said, and you remove our transgressions from us, you speak the word and we are free. We also see how you sent Jesus to this world and Jesus spoke the word of forgiveness to people and they were set free and they were healed. We pray, Lord, that you would call us to be as followers of Jesus, those who would go forth in our community, extending the love of Christ to these people and reminding folks that they too are forgiven because God has said so and because Jesus has said so. May we extend your love and forgiveness to all that we come in contact with, especially as we remember that we're always undeserving of that same love and acceptance and aware as we are of our own neediness spiritually calls us, Lord, to be gentle and caring with those in our community who also need your love and your care. We're thankful, Lord, that you have a way of raising us up from the deadness of life and from the paralysis of fear that we feel from time to time cause us to always remember that no matter what happens to us here on earth we are never alone you're always with us together we can face many challenges even as our forebears have also done and as they found you to be faithful and loving and caring and strong, so shall we find that to be the case as we walk with you and follow you. Therefore, we pray this day for those whose lives are gripped with fear, for those whose lives are filled with anguish and anxiety. And we pray for them, Lord, that they would be mindful of the fact that with you all things are possible. These things we pray in the name of Jesus who has taught us to pray, saying, 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
The gospel lesson for today is from Mark's gospel, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered there that there was no room, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, Lord, the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Here ends the lesson. It was 1975. A co-worker at my church called to invite Penny and me to go with a group to hear this little-known singer who was going to be giving a performance in the local high school. She said that due to his recent success, this would probably be the last time that he'd ever put on a small concert like this. And so we decided to go and we joined 1,500 to 2,000 other people to hear this unknown singer uh, in concert there at Irmo High School. It was really great, and she was right. Immediately after this performance, Barry Manilow hit the big time. After this performance, Manilow never played or hasn't played to many more than thousands, tens of thousands since that time. Mark 2 gives us a glimpse of the early days of Jesus. At this point, he still is speaking in small places, in small venues, because word about Jesus just was beginning to spread. He was still able to meet in small houses, like a small cabin, as we would think about the size, with people that were interested to meet with him. But not long after this story, Jesus would be moving outside to natural amphitheaters in order to accommodate the huge crowds that would be following soon from this story. But on this occasion, Jesus is said to be back home not only in the town that he called home and made the center of his operation, but it sounds like he probably was back at Simon Peter's house that he had considered his home base. On this day, the small house was absolutely packed with people. 
but it still had to be a fairly small crowd. But I can imagine that there were some people standing in every corner of that little house. And there probably were some people standing outside, sticking their heads through the window to hear everything that Jesus had to say. And others perhaps standing in the courtyard, hoping that they might be able to hear some of the words of Jesus. Who are all these people? Well, some were his disciples. Others were first-time hearers or the curious, potential followers, and also some skeptics. We will see in just a minute that there were some spies in that group, investigators sent to check out what this traveling preacher named Jesus might be up to. We're told that Jesus was preaching the word to them, that is, he was giving them his usual message of how the kingdom of God was at hand and that everyone should repent of their sins and believe the good news that God would forgive them. Right then, trouble begins. Someone who was very different arrived and cannot find a way to get inside the church, the little house church, to see Jesus. Isn't it interesting that no one was willing to get up or move or give their seat in order to make room for this newcomer? You know, someone has said that we Southerners are the absolute epitomes of kindness until a visitor comes and tries to sit in our church pew. We'll arm wrestle you for our church pew. Apparently, that was the attitude of the people that day in the house with Jesus because nobody moved. I used to have this naive expectation of myself and others that if we just focused our attention upon Jesus and built our daily lives around following him, then we'd, everything would just kind of be taken care of almost magically. We wouldn't be guilty of sin. We wouldn't be thinking about ourselves. We would be almost perfect. But sadly, this story illustrates that it just isn't true. Even though these people are totally focused upon Jesus and his words, they ignored a person who was in great need who had been brought to their very doorsteps. It's especially true if the needy person is very different from us in some way. Why is this so? Well, it is because none of us are perfect. We're human with inherent limited vision, comprehension, and compassion. That's what we mean in, when we say that the scripture teaches that we are uh, the victims or the, those who have inherited original sin. There is an inherent imperfection within us that we just seem to have been born with. Now physically, I am nearsighted. I have myopia, and without these glasses, I won't even be able to see who's on the front pew out there. But I'm also spiritually nearsighted. I can't see much beyond my own needs and those of my family. Often we just don't notice people who are in need, even though they're right close by. But it's especially true if they're different in some way. This partial blindness is why we tend to surround ourselves with folks that are just like us. We tend to hire people that are most like us. And judging by the way we all divide up on Sundays along socioeconomic and racial lines, 
It seems we prefer worshiping God with people that look just like us. My former district superintendent and dear friend Chad Davis, who died several years ago, had to put up with me and a number of uh, my friends who loved to tease him uh, when we were all together in meetings. And the thing is, he was pretty quick with the returns. We never could get the best of Chad. One time I said, Chad, can you explain something to me? Why is it that our bishops always pick people who look just like them to be district superintendents? When Bishop Paul Harden was here, all district superintendents were short like Joel Cannon and McKay Brabham. When Roy Clark was our bishop, he chose tall, slender men to be district superintendents, men like Oscar Smith and Sinclair Lewis. But when Bishop Big Ed Tullis was here, all the superintendents were fat guys like you, Chad. Quick as a wink, Chad answered, and if we ever get an ugly redhead bishop, your day will have come. <laughs> there does seem to be something to that, that bishops pick people that look like them. In our story here in Mark, it was a person who was very different, who was unable to walk, who found himself excluded from church that day. But it probably wasn't intentional or done out of malice. It just was done. And that causes me to wonder who you and I might be excluding from our worship, probably not on purpose, but just due to our own limited vision. Several decades ago, when I was appointed to another church, our vision committee began to actively pursue this question. What are we doing which may be keeping somebody from following Christ? One of the first things we noticed was the fact that on our church bulletin, uh, there was something that might have made people feel uncomfortable. Because our bulletin showed a traditional family. There was a mom and a dad and two children holding hands coming to church. Someone on the committee said, are we unintentionally sending the message that says, you're welcome here if your family looks like this? Are we inadvertently excluding single and single again people or single parent families? Are we excluding minorities or the physically impaired persons? We didn't have an elevator or a covered walkway, so how could a child or an adult in a wheelchair get from the classrooms downstairs where I was up to the sanctuary building? Who, who might we be keeping away from Jesus just because we aren't thinking. But this story doesn't end with people being left out. It moves next to some people who were determined to find a way to bring their friend into Jesus' presence. They did this because they had faith in Jesus and love for their friend. They knew that if they could just get their friend to Jesus, all would be well. Having been wholly excluded from the house, they made a holy hole in the roof to find their way in. Their faith found a way in, and they carried their friend on their faith to Jesus. I want to ask you, whose faith carried you to Jesus and made sure you found entrance into the Christian fellowship? Can you name the person or persons who were there with you and for you during a very crucial time in your life? And that's why you're in the church following Jesus today. 
Maybe someone in particular is responsible for your being here. Was it your parents, a teacher, a friend, a pastor? If so, you probably ought to thank them for being there for you and for carrying you to Jesus. Who are you going to be there for? Who will you intercept as they're heading in the wrong direction in life? Who will you carry to Jesus? The story now turns to this man who was carried into Jesus' presence. He was a Hebrew and had been taught his entire life that his suffering was a direct punishment for his sins. <clears throat> because that's what people in that day believed. You and I don't believe that nowadays, but nevertheless, we sometimes feel deep down in our subconscious mind that when something goes wrong in our lives, we are being punished for something. Have you ever stopped in the time of, of uh, trouble and said, what did I do to deserve this? Is God angry with me? <clears throat> this man, being a first century Hebrew, had no doubts about it. He was sure that he was experiencing the judgment of an angry God. Therefore, the first thing that Jesus had to do was to set the story straight. And he does this by saying, my son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus was telling the man, you're wrong if you think that God's mad at you. He is not. Your illness is not God's judgment upon you. And it is not God's will for your life. God loves you, and God's will for you is to be healed. But Jesus went a little too far to suit the scribes because he didn't just announce that God would forgive the man. Jesus pronounced that God already had forgiven him. Do you realize there's a big difference between announcing and pronouncing when you announce something, you're merely passing on the news that someone else has done something important. But when you pronounce something, you're changing the situation. You're the one who is actively creating a different situation for the person. For instance, in our old order of service for our weddings, uh, the pastor would actually say at the end of the wedding, I pronounce you husband and wife because the couple wasn't married until I said so. And so they had to behave to the very end. The pastor's statement created the marriage. But when we began to depend upon a signed marriage license to pronounce us husband and wife, our newer wedding ceremony was adjusted to what is now the fact. We merely announce that they are husband and wife. That piece of paper pronounces the marriage a done deal. In Protestant churches, when the pastor says concerning communion, this is the body and blood of Christ, one of the children this morning said the skin of Christ. That's pretty sharp. When the minister says this is the body and blood of Christ, we're merely announcing something that God has already done. It is God who can take ordinary bread and wine and make it to be for us signs of the body and blood of Christ. But in the Roman Catholic tradition, it is believed that the priest has the power to actually change bread and wine into the literal body and blood of Christ. So in their tradition, the priest is actually making a pronouncement. 
Now, the reason I'm making this point is that the, the uh, scribes were upset at Jesus because he made a pronouncement of the man's innocence. He didn't just announce that God would do something for the man. He created the condition of forgiveness for that man. And that was something that they felt was wrong, that a man shouldn't do. Jesus was declaring that forgiveness was happening at that very moment. And that meant that God was stepping out of eternity into the present moment. And that's the definition of a miracle. A miracle of forgiveness was happening right there in their midst. What gives you the authority to, to do this, Jesus? The scribes asked. You're taking upon yourself a right that is God's only. Then Jesus did something else that was truly remarkable. So, you want to know that I have authority to pronounce this man, and for that matter, all of you forgiven? Let me ask you, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say to this paralyzed man, get up and walk? Well, that's a pretty simple question. Of course it's a lot easier to say words of forgiveness than to make somebody walk. Talk is cheap. It's more difficult to restore paralyzed limbs to usage. If the more difficult statement, get up and walk, can be accomplished by Jesus, then the question of him having authority to pronounce forgiveness is also answered. To demonstrate that he had God's authority to forgive sins, Jesus told the man, get up, take your mat, and go home. So Jesus today has authority to forgive our sins. Do you hear Jesus saying to you these words today? You are forgiven. Jesus is present with us every time we worship. And every time he says these words of love and forgiveness to us, you are forgiven today. I announce to you that Jesus has pronounced you forgiven. How can you know this? Well, let me ask you, what's easier for Jesus? To say to you, your sins are forgiven, or to die upon a cross and then rise again on the third day? Amen.